Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe to your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now we're going to dive into today's episode, which is all about what you are made of. We're going to discuss sales, motivation, and inspiration and how they're connected. We're going to talk about coming back, rebounding, overcoming setbacks. We're going to to get into the culture in your team, company, or family. I'm so excited about this one. And we're going to look at some of that inner game stuff, using some past experiences, good or bad, for our advantage. So four key topic areas. And there is a guy that I've wanted to have on Business Creators Radio for a while, and I'm so happy we were able to pin this guy down. You're going to love him. His name is Michael Scirocco but you can call him C-Rock, and he's a motivator, facilitator, dynamic public speaker, and a fierce friend and coach. At his core, he's a grinder, just a guy who had a fire lit in his heart at an early age, and that fire has led him to inspire others to see the greatness inside of themselves using past life events to fuel their fire. His passion is truly helping others, whether it's his employees, partners, real estate agents, or anyone else looking to better their business, personal life, or mental game, C-Rock is always up for the challenge. He has spoken in front of thousands of real estate agents, showing them how to grow their business. He dives deep into his past during these talks to show you how you can feed off good and bad experiences. In his forthcoming book, just like our conversation today, is titled, What Are You Made Of? C-Rock, weather's fine. Come on inside. What's up, Adam? Glad to be here, man, on the Business Creators Radio Show with you. Yo, man, we are going to rock this. Now, this point, I know that there are some folks who tune into us every week. They've got a separate browser tab open. They're leaning in, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles looking for the C-Rock. And I'll spell your last name for them just to help. It's C-I-O-R-R-O-C-C-O. You're welcome. Michael Scirocco, known as C-Rock. And what we want to do here is just... And this will be extremely appropriate for the topic we're covering today. I read off your official bio, but tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you here to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of what is very obviously your brilliance and your passion, while making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Well, Adam, first and foremost, I believe everyone has a story. And a lot of people don't share their story because they're either embarrassed by it, uh, they think people won't care. Uh, they just don't think it's important enough. And I, I've been sharing my story now for a while because I saw someone share their story when I was at a conference. And it was 30-some thousand people sitting in this, this arena, this, this stadium. And all of a sudden, when this person was telling their story, everyone disappeared in the audience to me. And I felt like I was sitting there having a conversation with this person on stage speaking and telling their story. And that hit me at that moment that I need to get my story out and start sharing it with others and inspiring others with it and not worry about what people think, not worry about if it, it feels like it's important <laughs> enough. 
um, and not, not being embarrassed by it because there's other people and whether it's a million people, which is my goal, millions of people to reach with this or one person, Adam, that it helps and inspires, that's worth all the risks. So um, a little background about myself. I've been in real estate and mortgages since 2005 and started as a real estate agent, worked my way into mortgages as a loan officer, and then just started building a team. And in 2011, went out and started building a division of a mortgage company, got up to about 30 employees, seven branches, doing tons of business. But we're in the mortgage business, but really what happens is we're in the people building business. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you a little bit about today. But uh, my story started when I was 11 years old. And this is when my fire was lit and a turning point at such a young age happened. Uh, I had a lot of people come from broken homes. I come from a broken home. I don't remember my parents together. And when I was about eight years old, I decided to break my mom's heart unintentionally and move in with my dad because he sold me on all the bells and whistles that him and his new wife were going to provide to me as a kid. So three years after that, I went through a lot of mental abuse and, and uh, turmoil in that household for three years. And I was old, like at 11 years old, mature enough to understand about culture. Now, I didn't know the word culture at that moment, but I just realized that that was not an environment that was conducive to happiness and growth as a young child. So I decided to move in with my mom and I gave her the, uh, the, the quote unquote orders to go to the court and, and get me out of this situation. Uh-huh. When I came, came home from school one day, my dad had the court papers. And you see, I walked on eggshells as it was in that household. <laughs> so yeah. as I walked in and I saw, he said, what is this? I, I, I was having some issues there in my stomach, you know? So uh, he said, get in your room and uh, we're going to talk about something. So I walked back there, just sat there and waited, man. It was the worst, the worst feeling. And, uh, you know, there's risks involved with having to try to make a move to get out of that culture. And I knew what the risks were, um, but didn't, I wasn't, I, I really didn't feel like it was going to get to where it got to. So he comes in the room. My dad was my hero. He had a masonry business, his own business. He always had a wad of hundred dollar bills in his pocket. He, he flashed it around. And as a kid, I looked up to that. Not necessarily from the greed point of view, but more from the fact of how, what that got us as a family, trips, um, a nice house, food, you know, going out to dinner, all the stuff that you see that money can get you. Now, I, I didn't know, you know whether the, to, to look up to him for that or not. It just was one of the things. I'm just speaking my heart here. So he came in and said, what's this paperwork here? It says you want to move back with your mom. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have gone through this, maybe not this exact scenario. But a lot of them have come through from broken homes and had similar custody situations where you go to one parent every other weekend, things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, he said to me, he said, you know, you want to live with your mom, huh? He pulled out this wad of $100 bills out of his pocket that I admired him for. He peeled one off, crumpled it up, and threw it at me and said, here, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. Wow. Now, mind you, I'm 11 years old when this happened, and I was crushed, man. I was absolutely crushed. And I can tell you this, that I do remember clearly, clear as day, 30, this is 31 years ago. At that moment, I said, I can't be the only one this is happening to. That their father's giving up on them and being crushed like this. And I, I, at that moment, I vowed, I'm, I'm going to help as many people as possible. I had no idea how. I had the idea in my head that I wasn't going to feel sorry for myself. And I was going to prove them wrong whether that's the right attitude to take or not, I was basically saying, hey, okay, is that how it's going to be? Let's get your popcorn ready because I'm going uh, to put on a show for you the rest of my life. And that's something that I've reached back. The reason I tell this, I reach back for that. Anytime I'm going through tough times, conflict, 
difficulties. I always look back on that and say to myself, you know, what are you made of? And that's where that, what are you made of thing came from this movement that I'm, I'm, I'm putting on here is what are you made of, man? And also if things are going good, Adam, you also need to push to the next level or you fall back. So I use it in those moments as well. And I want to share that with people and teach people how to do that and how to use their, their, I look at it as an arsenal, your past experiences and stories is an arsenal for you to use for future growth. So that's a little bit about what I'm made of. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a, that's quite a story. Now we have uh, basically, as I previewed four separate areas that we're going to cover here today. This interview will have, I'm not going to say it's going to be rigidly structured, but we do have these four key areas that I outlined when I first introduced you. And I think just to get started here, let's just keep rolling with where we land with what you just shared with us is how can we use our past experiences, good or bad, for our advantage? Because it sounds like that's kind of where you're headed right now is to show us how that happened. Yeah. So first of all, everybody needs to understand something. A lot of times when people go through bad experiences, they start a victim mentality or they, they feel sorry for themselves or they don't know, they don't understand what's going on. How could this happen? What people need to understand, Adam, is the fact that everything you go through, whether it's good or bad, is a training session for your future. And if you take that mindset on, all of a sudden things start to change. And what happens at that moment, when thing, if, if you already know that and you expect things are going to happen bad and good sometimes, you know when you're going through them that, okay, let's take a step back, deep breath. This is a training session. I'm going to get through it, and it's going to prepare me for something in the future. Something big right. is going to happen in the future. So that's the mindset that we use in our company, my household, and the things that I teach people. And it's very effective. I'm with you so far, yeah. And what if the thing that happened in their past – is something that's embarrassing to them. Maybe that thing is they got themselves in some kind of legal trouble or something like that. Or good, it was a type question. of thing. It was a type of thing where you know, looking back, you recognize having had some experiences, what was really going on. But it's still something that, and even if you didn't really technically do anything wrong, or if anything you did wrong was inadvertent, it's kind of hard to explain in the present day, even though really it's not a big deal. Well, here's the scenario with that. Anytime you're embarrassed about something, it's a form of selfishness. And the reason I say that is you're you're coming at it and and in the particular situation that you're talking about, you're thinking to yourself, I'm the only person that ever happened to. I'm the only person that went through that. I'm not going to share that because nobody else has gone through that and I'm not going to be able to impact anyone. So, for example, I spoke to a gentleman uh, a couple weeks ago he was, got hooked on drugs, got arrested for stealing, um, got arrested for drugs, and now he's trying to rebound his life and get into to the real estate business. Having all that have happened to him, and he shared that with me. And, you know, I, I understood what he went through. He made mistakes. If, if you think that you don't make mistakes, that's another problem. You got to figure that out. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that anybody that, that would give you any uh, hard, hard time about your past is people that you want to avoid and stay away from. So a lot of times, like when I, it's, it's the same as if we have a big goal and you tell somebody about a big goal and then you watch how they react after you tell them your big goal. If those people react the wrong way, negatively, 
or try to throw limiting comments at, comments at you, those are the people that you probably want to stay away from if you really are committed to that goal. So when you have a story to tell and you're trying to tell the story to someone to inspire them or you're trying to use it internally to motivate you, but if you tell the story to someone and they, they respond the wrong way and you explain it to them more and they're just not open to that, those are the kind of people that you really don't need to be around, Adam. It's that simple. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's the way it is. And that's how I roll. Yeah, and see, this is one of those lessons in life, and I'm so glad you said that because that's a realization that I had to go through in my own life as I discovered my place in the world, where my brilliance and passion are, and where I have the opportunities to make a difference for my community, market, and audience, and leave the world in some way a better place than where I found it as much as I can, is that there are some folks that no matter what you do are going to not believe you, they're going to reject you, they're going to put labels on you. And the fact is, that's going to happen. And it's just one of those things. I mean, you may say, say it differently. Here's how I, I've always described this phenomenon using a very simple analogy. You see in the movies and you see in television shows, the person who... Uh, you know, the person who is trying to fit in somewhere, and uh, but they're being kept out by the antagonist of the story, and then ultimately it leads to some sort of confrontation or some sort of fight where they have to keep trying to get in there to prove themselves. But in the real world, what often happens is that person who finds out that they just don't fit in at this one place they keep trying to fit in, eventually their eyes get open to the fact that there are places that are that were are like they have their arms outstretched just waiting for them to come on over or if they're being rejected by this one group they've got another group waiting to see them that's lined up around the block so in real life eventually they catch up on that but it's the culture of well you've got to fight to prove yourself not always sometimes it's right. an awareness of of where your people and where your community really is. Exactly. And you, if you think about it this way, sir, first of all, if you're worried about what people think, um, you're worried about to be embarrassed, you're letting the control slide from you to the other people. And it's kind of like living in a prison and being a prisoner. And who wants to live that way? And when you figure that out, you f it's, it's, it's freeing. And right. Uh, free at last, free at last. So what's that? <laughs> I forget what free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Yeah, but, yes. but it feels great when you really feel like that, you know, I'm not worried about what people think. And you know what? I don't have to be around those people. Sometimes we get into these little cliques or these little uh, cultures and we feel like it's the world. And that's, that's, that's all there is, like you're talking about. And so what you have to do at that moment is you got to figure out, okay, is this the place for me? This is the same thing as, as living in the household in my dad's house back in the day when I was a kid. I could have stayed there and I could have been a prisoner to it and I could have just dealt with it. And instead, I said, you know what? There's something bigger out there and I made the move. Even though I had to take risks, there's risks involved when you do it. By the way, referring back to that story, my mom wasn't that well off, by the way. We, we lived in a little house. It was probably a $30,000 house, no air conditioning. We didn't go, you know, we didn't go out to eat. Um, you know, we were trying to make ends meet. We went on vacations, which was just going to the beach with uh, trash bags with our clothes in it. No, no, yeah. no uh, I mean, these are some things I remember as a kid. I made risks and sacrifices to get out of the culture because I didn't want to be a prisoner. So 
Right. I, I really think I'm that people you. just need to wrap their head around it and get out of the micro level and, and, and start thinking about a grander scale, the micro, the macro. And it helps to realize that there's so much out there. And not only that, Adam, if you can't find it, you create it. That's go on that, that, okay. Tell me about this. So, uh, creating, creating, we, we like to talk about creating our own economy all the time in our, in our organization, but yes, you know, if you rely on other people for things, you give them control. And so what we try to do with our employees in our company, uh, by the way, I run a mortgage company called nations lending, by the way. Um, and we do all home loans residential. And when we go out, we, we try to talk to real estate agents to try to help them with their clients. We try to talk to our past clients, our power base. We try to get business from every different angle that we can, but we never want to rely on one angle because what happens is you give the control to that other person or that other thing that you're relying on. Right. So we try to go crazy with it and, and create our own economy. We say, so you can also create your own environment or culture. And it's a matter of committing to what you want, whether it's, you know, during the day you want to do these activities, you want to feel a certain way, you want to, dress a certain way, you figure out what you want, what makes you happy, write it down, get very clear on it, and then create it. Create the environment where you can do that. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's yeah. easy. And it's not doesn't take sacrifices. But at the end of the day, you are much happier, and you will produce much more. You know, here's, this ties into something that I've shared again and again, I've been something of a contrarian voice for years when it comes to referrals. And I know this because when I was first building businesses as an entrepreneur, I had a business that not only was significantly referral-based, it was 100% based on the networking efforts of others who handed me clients with bows tied wrapped around them. Now, what this also translated into was pressure to take on clients that I would not have touched with a 10-foot pole otherwise. And believe me, I got the results that you can imagine result from that sort of scenario. I mean, it got to the point where it was so blatant. I had somebody who's a referral to my business who opened their, whose very first connection with me was to go on for five minutes condemning my, not even criticizing, but condemning my business practice and demanding I change my business just for them. And so I went back to my referral partner and said, I really don't want this person. And, he said, and, and my referral partner, who's actually a very nice person, a friend of mine to this day in an ally in business, said, all right, if you're not going to take my referrals, how the hell am I supposed to make money off of you with, with commissions? I can find somebody else to do this. So I don't hold it against that person for saying that. What I recognized is that there was, a, there was an issue with the mind frame around me having referrals come into my business. And it was up to me to make some of those adjustments. I cover something in my book called Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. I know, C-Rock, you have a book coming out called What Are You Made Of that I'm very excited to see for myself, actually. And let me know when it's ready so I can go buy myself a copy and download that and read it. Also get myself a paperback because I like actual books. But it, I digress. And inside Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, I uh, cover the difference between a weak-ass referral and a strong referral. A weak-ass referral can be something like, yo, C-Rock, I, I see you uh, need some help with uh, getting your book cover done. So, uh, you know, I, I know these three book designers. I'll send you a list of their names. 
there's also these programs where you can kind of do it yourself. And if you want, you can JV with this person where in exchange for you helping them uh, get some leads, they'll do a book cover for you. Would right. any of those now? No, that those are weak ass referrals. A strong referral, uh, I well, we don't really have time to go through the entire outline of it, and it's covered in my book. Basically, would be me saying, "Hey, Mike, tell you what, I know the person who, who can do your book cover for you. His name is John Sanders. I'm making up that name, John Sanders. Uh, here's his contact information. So." Tell you what, I let him know that you're going to be contacting him. He's your guy. He's going to do your book cover for you. And just give him a call uh, or here's the scheduler and go make an appointment with him to discuss what you need. Now, the anatomy is actually a little bit more complicated than that, or not complicated, but rather structured than that. I don't want to use the word complicated. I, in fact, I put it out there on purpose just so I could debunk it. But the idea is to create the impression that I already, not only do I have the person who can help you with your book cover, but really they're already started working on it. It's just up to you to make the connection with them. Right. A hundred percent. And, and to, and to develop this, just the final step here, I've used that to restructure my referrals with relationship partners by letting them know clearly what I'm looking for. Not, well, I see you run a mastermind. That's great. I'll be happy to help all of them. <clears throat> Doesn't work that way. Every mastermind has a moron in it. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just how it is. And um, but and if, you, and if you don't see the moron, better look in the mirror. <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> I love it, C Rock, my man. All right, so I that that's that's great. And so when you're able to understand what it is you're looking for in your business, which I had to grow some gumption around and be clear that there's an avatar that I need as far as a referral. I discovered that my referrals started to get a lot better. And I also had to just let some of my referral partners where it just seemed like they had a lot of bad fit referrals coming to me. I had to say, look, my business is really full right now. And uh, I need to suspend referrals for like 90 days. Uh, I'll let you know when I'm back. It's a way of politely just getting out of the game. Yeah, here's the thing. When you have a worry in the back of your mind and you're running scared and you're worrying about where your next deal is going to come from, you'll take anything from anything. Oh, right? yeah, I've been there, done that. Been so, there, done that. Yeah, so you have to understand. First of all, you have to be clear on what you're looking for. And then you have to know that you need to train your referral partners. Yes. Right? When we're working with a customer, a, a home buyer that needs a loan, we actually go through a training process with them so that they don't become a nightmare customer. You have to train them and set expectations properly. Let them know how the process is going to go. So we do the same thing with real estate agents, referral partners. We say, listen, here's how we work. Here's how we would like you to refer to us. We're great. We're going to take care of you. You know that. That's why you're interested in referring to us. But here's how we're going to do this. Because right. we want to be on the same page communication-wise. We want to know, you know how you're going to get them to us, what you're going to be saying to them so that when we talk to them the first time, we know what you said. And so it goes smoothly. So you're, it's all training. Yeah. And then having that abundance mindset of, look, I don't need to work with just anyone. I don't need to work with uh, the real estate agent that calls you five times a day asking you questions on things and, and, and not even doing their job right. I don't need to work with that person. I want to work with professionals. And we actually, every year, we actually sit down with our, with our loan officers and we sit down and go through a plan of, okay, here's the type of loan, um, real estate agent I'm going to work with. Here's the type of customer I want. 
here's what I am not going to deal with. And here's what I refuse to work with. Right. And we actually write that out and declare it and commit to it so that we don't feel a sick feeling in our stomach. If we don't end up wanting to work with a, a certain real estate agent because they're, they're uh, for lack of a better term, just a pain in the ass. <laughs> We don't feel that gut feeling in our stomach that something's wrong. Or we're we're going to miss out on business because we've already declared what we're looking for. Right. I 100% agree with that, Adam. Right, right. And, uh, and you know, I had a, re- a referral re- relationship with somebody. Uh, actually, no, let's leave, let's leave that aside because I think we've covered my referral relationships as much as we need to here. Let's talk about an affiliate relationship I had with someone. And I was acting as an affiliate of this person where we, uh, where me and this person were also in business together in other ways as well. And every time that I got a notification in my email that says that I had just made a sale through my affiliate link with this program, I waited because he's a good friend of mine for that, for my little green dot to light up on Skype and him saying, yo, Adam, got a sec? Because <laughs> I knew within moments that he was going to say, sorry, man, I can't give you a referral for this because no matter who they were or what work I did to get them to go to his website, I'd find out that he had known them just a little bit longer or he had had two cocktails at that networking reception instead of just the one that I had with them or that he's been on their radar for years or whatever. But whatever it was, somehow he already knew them and therefore it was not actually a referral. And you know what, I, finally I went to this guy and this will be, I think, a great lead into the next question I have for you. So see, Roxa, bear that in mind. And I, said, and I, I just said, you know, point blank, you don't really want to pay anybody affiliate commissions, do you? And he said, yeah, really, no, I don't. I said, here's what we do. I've actually paid you a couple small commissions on some things, but I'm not going to pay you anymore. I'm not going to have any expectation, any referral I send you through your affiliate program is going to lead to me having a commission anymore. So why don't we just forget the money, agree that we're going to be allies in business, support each other in the marketplace, send each other great prospects, and the, one, and, and the referrals that we send each other that we choose to work with, we do a really great job for so that the rising tide buoys all ships. And he agreed to that, and he's been the best referral partner I've ever had because we just mutually decided to leave money out of it and just support each other. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I see how that could be. So in the yeah. mortgage, well, well, did you want to ask your question? And I was going to comment on that, but. Well, comment, comment on that, and then, okay. uh, and then I think you can almost guess which question I have, but go right ahead. Well, first of all, in the mortgage business, we can't, um, we can't give fees for business anyway, referral fees, um, because yeah. there's laws against that. Um, so, but I can see that in general, um, what happens a lot of times when there's uh, affiliate marketing, uh, marketing service agreements, that there are legal ways that you can work together on advertising and what have you. That sometimes, and, and not on our business, but um, other businesses I've seen, there's conflict that comes where a mortgage company rents office space in a uh, real estate company, but the real yeah. estate company's not referring enough business to them to make it make sense. And it just creates a conflict. It creates havoc. And it is a better situation to just do it. Uh, we see it all the time in our business. We don't pay for business. We're not allowed to. We don't do uh, desk arrangements in real estate offices. What we do is we follow up with the real estate agents constantly and we help them grow their business by doing workshops and helping them grow their business by knowledge and data and and know-how rather than paying them any money or trying to rent 
desk space or what have you. And what happens at that point is we're growing their business for them. And then in turn, they're sending business our way. So we look at it that way instead of, you know, a dollar number that we give them or something to that effect. So. Right. Okay. So what I was dealing with, what I was dealing with as I saw it with those conversations was a cultural issue around referrals, affiliate commissions and things like that. So let's get into the culture issue because this is one of the things that really attracted me to wanting to have you on my show is okay. tell us some of your tips for building and maintaining culture, whether it's in your team, your company, your family, wherever you need to work on culture. Okay. So first of all, first of all, this is very important to understand. Just because you're having success right now, whether you're individually or in your business, does, and, and does not mean that you don't need culture if you don't have culture, if you're not focused on a good culture. Because what happens, Adam, and I've been through this personally, we had a mortgage division that we grew and it was great. Money was coming in, but we didn't focus on culture. The culture was terrible. The ownership of the company, I'm going to take full responsibility for it, but the ownership of the company never helped with it. I didn't right. even, I didn't, I didn't myself personally, we made a lot of money, but then it crumbled because the culture wasn't there. There was people thinking that everybody was trying to screw them over. Uh, everybody was in it for me and it was just not a good environment. There was a lot of animosity between loan officers, which are the producers and the fulfillment staff, which is the processors. And so what happened was that business crumbled and I say it's beyond out of our control. I could have done more probably, but there were some things going on with stealing from uh, the ownership or what have you. The oh boy. Stealing. So we had to roll. We picked up 22 employees, three branches at that time and moved to a awesome company with a great culture. And at that point, we said, this is going to be a totally different move here, guys. We're going to start with culture. That's going to be our foundation because I see what happened. And I learned from the experience that you cannot have a successful long-term company without foundation. And that foundation is a good culture. So in doing that, we started off with gratitude. We had to figure out a way that there was gratitude all throughout the organization for each other. And everybody understood and thanked each other for people going out of your way, just the normal job. So every Monday we have a sales meeting and we start our sales meetings off by going around the group and we cannot repeat the same topic, but one person will start and they'll name someone in the group that they're thankful for that they, something that they did last week. And we go around the room with it. And when, when I initially, initially put this out there, I was like, Oh boy, this might be like Thanksgiving. This is, this is a great timing for this. This might be like Thanksgiving dinner, family and corny. And the kids don't really want to answer this question, what they're thankful for and all this. And I was thinking to myself, how's this going to go down? But when we did it, the following week, there was employees thanking me in the, in the exercise for in putting this in place the following or the, the prior week. I couldn't believe it. So we did this and all of a sudden our team started to gel. And if you can imagine 30 employees doing this, it takes time out of our sales meeting, but the time we're sacrificing time for the results that come from it. Our team has gelled like nothing I've ever seen before. Everyone is thankful for each other. And there, cause processors used to tell me sometimes back at the other company, man, I just, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm ever, you know, appreciated. This solved that problem part partly, and I'm going to get to something else. So that's number one, gratitude. Number two, we wrote down and established with everyone and made sure everyone was clear on our vision for the company and our goals and targets. And we made them huge. And when I say huge, uh, the most we've ever done in a month prior to doing this was maybe 13 million, 15 million, maybe somewhere in that range in loan volume per month. 
we set a goal and target to do a hundred million dollars a month consistently. And yeah, everybody looked at me, everybody that uh, outside of our organization <laughs> would laugh when I bring it up and chuckle. And that just drives me further. A lot of times people will fall off of a goal or target when somebody laughs at them or, or discourages them. Yeah. Yep. I, I lean in it. I lean into a different direction. I go the opposite. I go harder. Um, to give you an example, like, you know, a lot of people won't get on Facebook or social media and do live videos or cause they're worried about what people think. And I've done that. I've done a podcast now, by the way, I have a, a podcast called what are you made of as well? It's got a, I think four or five episodes out now it's on uh, iTunes and Spotify and all the, the major right. platforms. But uh, I talk about this and I got a lot of kickback from friends and close people about doing a podcast or doing videos on social media. And when I hear that and I tell my team this all the time, I'll go do another one as soon as they tell me that. <laughs> and then it shuts them up and then they know you're serious. So too many people fall back off of that when people, you know, give them a little ribbing or, and what have you. So that's, some, uh, that's a side note, but, uh, big, big goals, big visions, big targets, like huge, like, like we go crazy with them and it gets us excited and it gives us hope. So when we go to the office and we go to work, we have something that we're going for bigger than just paying our bills, bigger than just making money, bigger than just doing a loan. We have something exciting and, and, and hopeful and that's changed the ball game as well. So that's number two. We also, during number two, we try to create little targets and so we can get quick wins too, Adam, because we want to make sure that we're like not just having this big goal out there and then not seeing any progress towards it. So we'll create little opportunities and little targets for quick wins to get right. the snowball rolling. And um, number three, we created an opportunity for all of our employees to have unlimited income potential. And what I mean by that, any salesperson has unlimited income potential, really, because all they got to do is sell more. And if they're in their geographic area, they can't sell more. They got to expand the geographical area. And if their company doesn't let them, they got to find a new company to work for that'll let them expand. So there's always ways for salespeople to have unlimited income potential. Been there, done that, right? my friend. But what we did differently is we created an opportunity for every single person in our organization to bring revenue into the company and make money for it. So processors that process the loans never used to do this. We get all of our processors licensed. I personally pay for their licensing and then anybody that they're on the phone with they always end the call with oh by the way who do you know that maybe buying her home in the next six months that we can give some honest help to we'd be happy to help them out and if they don't have anybody great hey no problem when you th think of somebody or run into somebody could you please send them our way can we count on you for that and we have the script that they use then also when they're out with their family friends we have them asking for business they're not in sales but they're asking for business so what happened is we now have uh, processors doing a million, two million a month total from all of our processing staff that are non-sales in loan volume coming in every month. The money off of that pays for their salary, one, which is good for the business. Number two, it, they make money. I had a processor make $11,000 in commission on top of her regular pay, and she's paid well already, but she made $11,000 in a month by just asking for business. And so, what happened is the resentment that was there before from the processing team to the production team is gone because they understand what it's like to produce. They understand how hard it is to ask for business and actually get it. And now they're in the same, same game as us producers. So that, that whole thing has changed. And now they're not thinking, Oh, well the, the producers make all the money and we do all the hard paperwork. They don't think that anymore because if they want to make more money, they can do it and they just go, go get it. 
And so the other thing with unlimited income potential, we never, ever let anyone feel like they're stuck in a position. If somebody is in a position and they want to advance or they want to open up their own branch and they earn it, they can do it. We don't ever hold anyone back. If somebody wants to go work for a different company, we help them move their desk and give them a great referral. We give people opportunities to leave. So what, what way we work, our whole organization is, is we either want to push you to greatness or push you to leave, one or the other. Those are the only two options. And what that's done for us is pushed our whole group to a whole nother level. And so number four, we, we have accountability. And I know this is, these are things that everybody's heard, but we have this written down. It's very specific. And we have leaderboards that we put out consistently. We have stats. We have graphs. We look at everything. If it matters, measure it. And we didn't do that in the past. So I've learned from my mistakes. I implemented this and now we're blowing up. And we also have a man up policy where man up, woman up, however you want to say it, but every individual in our organization holds each other accountable. So we don't have a problem with each other as a family and a group to call each other out when we need to respectfully. And those are some things that we've implemented and we just let everybody know, Hey, you wrote down what you are willing to do with this organization. You wrote down your goals. You're part of this vision. And we're going to hold each other accountable and everybody's on board with that. And it, be, yeah. it blows my mind because you know what? I felt like I was being a jerk before holding people accountable before I came to nation's lending at the old company that crumbled. And then I, I, I dealt with some people that I shouldn't have dealt with as far as their attitudes, the me people they were producing and making money. So I thought it was okay. But when I looked at myself in the mirror one day and said, Hey, you know what? I'll do this by myself if I have to, until I find the right people. Once I made that declaration and commitment, it was all over. Everything was going like, like rocket into the air from that point on because I told everyone that here's what we need to do for this company. I told my business partners that. I told my employees that this is how we're going to do this. This is where we're going. You're either on board or you're not, and I'll do this by myself if I have to. And I started leading by example. And I call, I, I, There's a guy named Scott Mann that has this rooftop leadership. He was in um, Afghanistan fighting the Taliban with villagers. And he told the story about the rooftop leadership. And I didn't even right. know I was doing that at that moment. Um, but I read his, um, I read his, his blog afterwards about it. And I, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, like rooftop leadership. That's what I was doing. Lead by example, keep doing it, do it by yourself. If you have to take your hits, come down, show them the good, show them the bad. And eventually one by one, they start coming up to the top. They come up to the roof and fight with you. It's a crazy uh -huh. phenomenon that the military has been using for years. And I had no idea um, what I was doing at that moment. I just, I just, I guess just watching other people and success in business and just started following them. So those are the yeah. four areas that we created our culture off of. And anytime we slip or slide or we're going through conflict, we just revert back to those things. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to go back to business creators radio shows website and Download this episode. Subscribe to your favorite network so that you can hear Michael C. Rock Scirocco tell you what you're made of or ask you what you're made of, as the case may be, and listen to his tips for building and maintaining culture. This is very valuable stuff that you can implement immediately. This is almost like a coaching session, folks. I mean, you don't get – I mean, where, where the hell else can you get something that awesome? I mean, where else – then the Business Creators Radio Show, do you get that type of great content that you can actually pick up and run with? What I see, Rock, I just want to share this for a moment. What you know, you were asking in the green room who our listeners are and what brings them to Business Creators Radio Show, and I'm going to tell you something I'm really proud of. 
we at Business Creators Radio Show have created a culture here where when somebody's listening to our show, it's like they're sitting in on a one-on-one mastermind. It's somewhat free-flowing. The ideas happen, and sometimes we even end up comparing ideas and comparing notes. I have at times run some of my ideas by my guests and vice versa. So I want people to feel that it's not just a you know, rat-a-tat-tat, I ask a question, you give an answer. I ask a question, you give an answer. But we have the opportunity to expand, tell stories, share analogies. And I think we're really hitting that goal with our episode here today. And I want to thank you so much for that. I agree, man. I'm enjoying this. Thank you very much for having me on, man. All right. All right. So you gave us such a fire hosing of great information on building and maintaining culture. Now what we want to do is we want to do move to what I believe is the fourth point, uh, which is somewhat related to it, actually. And tell us about how sales, motivation, and inspiration are tightly interconnected, especially since we've spoken so much about sales and referrals and marketing in this call. So first of all, everybody's in sales. Sales is just trying to figure out how to get what you want. Right? Yeah. And you gotta, you, people need to realize that. And, and sales has such a dirty, dirty uh, connotation for some reason um, because there's some people that have ruined it out there. But basically, sales is simply a numbers game. And I know you've heard that before. Yes, I have. People, people get so worked up in how am I going to get my next sale or how do I do this? How do I do that? When really they need to write their goals down and their targets down of where they want to be, how much money they want to make, and then work backwards and work the numbers backwards. And if they don't have the stats on, okay, again, I don't know what uh, industry some of the people are in, but if you think about sales, like I'm just going to relate this to uh, somebody doing a uh, demonstration to sell things. And somebody's selling a product and they have to do a certain amount of demos to get a certain amount of sales, right? And what happens is it's a sales cycle, right? So you look at different stages of the sales cycle and you figure out the numbers you have to do at the different stages. And if you don't know what those numbers are, you have to find someone that's been in the business and talk to them and say, hey, what are the numbers? Like if I talk to this many people, how many demonstrations will I be able to set up? Or what's the average? Uh, How many sales can I make on each demonstration, the percentage? And then set everything up based on that and just work the numbers. It's very simple. So in our business in real estate and mortgages, prospecting is 95% of our time. We need to focus 95% of our time going out, finding business, talking to people, making connections. And so what we do, for an example, we have a certain number of calls that we make every single day. And then, so for example, real estate agents, you got to be in front of them constantly. The biggest problem for any salesperson, especially in the mortgage business, is that real estate agents forget about you or they don't even know who the heck you are. So we always want to make sure that they know who we are, one, and that they don't forget about us. So that creates an opportunity for us to call them once a week, post something in social media regarding them or like their post. We really take an intentional approach to being in front of them somehow or touching them somehow throughout the week. So every day we have a certain amount of calls we make to agents. We have a certain amount of calls we make to past clients and any other referral partner that you can think of. From there, at the end of the day, because stats are important, And journaling is important. We call it an activity journal. At the end of the day, we have our whole group email out to the whole group their activity email of what they accomplished that day. Good or bad, we want to know the activities and the results. And what happens is that people sometimes at the end of the day won't get a sale. They won't feel like they were productive, but they did a lot of activity. And so, Adam, what that does 
is re like enforces the idea that, okay, look, you did the activity you're supposed to do. You're that much closer to the production and then the results. You just got to keep humping and tomorrow you do the same thing. Your numbers are going to be, your results are going to be there and then the, the numbers are going to work out. Just don't stop. When you don't do the activity journal at the end of the day and write down your successes and, and your activities that you've done, you, you, you can get confused on what happened that day if you don't have a sale. So these are some right. tactics that we use um, to, to, keep our, to keep our heads focused. Um, and then the other thing is, is that we look at things, like I told you, our big goal, right? If you have a big goal, you need to have big activity. So we start off by knowing that we just want to be omnipresent, like as many places as possible, um, contacting as many people as possible, having a reason to call them, and then bringing value to those people too when we're getting ready to call them in mass numbers. And that's just the way we view it. Yeah, and I've seen in sales environments kind of what you're addressing with the strategy you just shared right there about the inspiration, the motivation, the journal, what have you. I've seen environments where they'll say, oh, you haven't made any sales? Well, uh, you're failing. But there's no look beyond that of what are they doing? What are these activities that they're engaging in? And are these activities just to fill time or – or they activities that lead towards action. Uh, I'll be candid here. I was in a sales job a long time ago, and I was, you know, barely, you know, I was barely an adult, and there were things that I didn't know. I've told the story on many episodes of this show how the culture there was so bad that when I was asked to leave the organization, I actually celebrate that date as my second birthday. It's actually the topic <laughs> of my, it's actually the topic of the chapter I contributed to Journeys to Success and Millennial Edition. And my followers know that I'll do a Facebook Live on April 27th to celebrate my second birthday and what that means to me. So all that aside, That's great. I also recognize that I, you know, I didn't know anything about asserting myself. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know how to navigate a toxic culture to make it work for me nonetheless. And I didn't know how to get around or deal with the perception that if you say the leads suck, that your sales manager turns around and says, no, you suck. The leads are fine. It's, you just don't know how to use them. So with that groundwork laid, I'll tell you, see, Rock, candidly, the lead sucked. And even with what I know 20 years later, I still couldn't have done anything with those. Now, I discovered that the only metric they really, really seemed to care about when it came down to it, and maybe, maybe that was just my perception, I don't know. Have I made enough qualifiers here to that's come under the header of I've learned since? Were we okay with that? Can we agree on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right. So, <laughs> so at the time, my perception was that the only thing they really seemed to care about was volume of outgoing phone calls. Hey, okay. So I made a lot of phone calls. So if I uh, if I was on the telephone with a prospect, I'd drag the conversation out. If I was leaving a message for somebody, I'd take my sweet time with the gatekeeper, uh, which actually was a good thing. But I didn't know to recognize that at the time. I was not aware that nurturing relationships with gatekeepers can be the foundation of a long-term sales career. I didn't yep. get that. But yep. uh, And uh, sometimes they would even, quote-unquote, catch me, quote-unquote, wasting time to, quote-unquote, get my outgoing calls number up. Now, had there been a culture of looking at, well, what are these activities? What are these actions? And are they just activities or are these actions towards sales, 
we could have identified how some of these things that I was doing that in some cases in my mind were just to stretch out my outgoing calls volume just to get them off my ass. That's the, yeah, that was the could have been Could have been tweaked a little bit to turn yeah. into real money. Yeah, you have to have, uh, one of the things we always operate is with intentional actions. Yeah. So we're not in reaction mode. We have to be intentional. So one of the things they were doing there mainly is just getting the call numbers up because they thought a percentage would come from that. No matter what you said or did, you would definitely get a percentage of the sales. Like the, like, like, right? like the numbers game without any further thought, basically. Right, but you still need to have intentional training. What are you trying to accomplish on the call? Let's, let's make them effective. And, you know, obviously that, that's, that was an environment that obviously didn't work. Um, like you said, the culture wasn't right there, but right. we, you know, we look at, okay, what are we going to do today? All right. From 10 to 11, we're calling real estate agents. We're going to call as many real estate agents as we possibly can in that hour. All right. When we call them, what are we going to say to them? And then we have a, we have a, it's, we don't script it like robots, but we know what we're going to say to them. We know what we're going to talk about and we want to make it like all about them. And how can we help them? And then, you know, ask for business at the end of the call after we talk about them and helping them first. And so we do that enough times. We set that, that agenda. We're very intentional. And, you know, we've been in call centers before where you're just calling around and, and there's no training or whatsoever. And people want to know where the results are. You can't do that. It's just not, not conducive to success at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I know we're coming near the top. I want to share one other funny uh, – kind of funny, but actually kind of a poignant story. Uh, I was in the process, uh, or actually I'm in the process of generating a, a venture that is just now moved into the alpha phase. But going back about 10 or 11 months, it was kind of in the beta phase. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to do some networking around letting people know about what I was working on with my new venture, um, see what leads were out there, see what uh, guidance I could get. You know, you know, basically when you do a round of calls to your network to let them know about something you're working on. You ever been there before? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm not a cold caller. I'm, uh, I'm extremely introverted. Uh, if anybody ever catches me making a cold call, they're going to know that the world turned upside down. So, <laughs> What I did is I adapted that strategy to sending a brief message to people in my network, basically just saying, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm starting this new venture, and I was wondering if I could get on your calendar for 15 minutes just to get your thoughts on it. So, uh, so, I'm, so the story I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to put a little, just, just for, to put a little bit of frame on what's going on. The day I decided to do this outreach, uh, coincidentally, um, happened to be the same day as the president gave the State of the Union address. So um, now you and I both know who the president is now, but I'm not going to say the name only because when people listen to this 10 years from now on Business Creators Radio Show is still on the air, they can picture whoever's president at that time in their mind. But anyway, so I, so I sent out all the messages right before the president uh, went before Congress and gave their speech. And as soon as I sent those messages, I shut down my Facebook and my LinkedIn where I'd sent all the messages, watched the speech, and then turned Facebook and LinkedIn back on. Bottom line is by the time I got through all the chatter with all the responses with people who either wanted to celebrate the speech or condemn it or what have you, I had 14 appointments on my calendar for the next day. Wow, man. That's awesome. So... That, to me, when I think about that, if I'm looking at myself in the third person, is looking at the activity and the action 
and how I connected with people about someone. I wasn't saying, hey, I created this new venture and I wanna throw my arm around you and walk you down the street and get you to buy it. I just said, hey, I'm doing this new thing and I was wondering if I could get on your calendar for 15 minutes just to run it by you and get any thoughts. So I wasn't even saying, hey, C-Rock, I wanna pick your brain. You know, right. try and get free coaching from you. It really was the mind frame is 15 minutes real quick. I just wanna tell you what I'm doing and see what your thoughts are on it. That's it. Now, if a buddy of yours or somebody you met at a conference or somebody you knew a little bit, uh, you know, came to you and said, yo, C-Rock, you got 15 minutes for me? I'm, uh, you know, I'm working on this book and I just uh, wanted to throw a couple things by you. You got 15 minutes for me real quick. Your reaction will probably be, sure, here's my schedule. Hop on, let's do it. Right, right. Uh, exactly. No doubt. But if they, but if they phrased it differently, you might be thinking, oh, they're trying to sell me and do I really want to pitch today? That's it. That's it, man. And I use that with real estate agents all the time, actually. That's yeah. so funny that you say that. I, I put it out there. Hey, I want to run something by you. Do you mind giving me a call? Then I hang up and I text them. Hey, I left you a voicemail. I'll talk to you when you call back. <laughs> yeah, because I think you also recognize the you recognize some of the statistics about the percentage of people that not only don't even answer their phone live, but don't even check their messages. Right. Like, uh, like right. I mean, you can read the articles uh, based on the studies where if you leave somebody a voicemail these days, what is in some cases, depending on your demographic or your industry or what have you, or the, or the scenario, is for them to look at their caller ID, see that they recognize your number, and then text you or message you back to say, yo, C-Rock, got your message, what's up? Yep. They didn't That's listen it. to it, but they just know that they, they know that the little voicemail thing is lit up and you're the one who put it there. They didn't listen, but they just say, yo, man, what's up? You know why we know that, Adam? Because we Wait. probably do it ourselves. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, that that that's 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 very that's very true. Like if uh, somebody tries to ring my phone and I know they're on my Skype and I see their little green dot lit up, I'll go to Skype and I'll say, "Yo, saw you called. What's right. the haps?" Right, exactly. <laughs> hey, and, and before we go here, by the way, I have a, a, the podcast I mentioned, but I have a private Facebook group. Well, I have it open right now. Um, I'm going to shut it down to, to uh, clients at some point, but any of your listeners, if they go to Facebook and go to the, what are you made of with Mike Searock uh, Facebook yeah. group, I'll go ahead and let them in. I'm going to engage with my, my listeners there, but I'm also going to provide a lot of content and value for business sales, same stuff that we talked about here today. And I'm going to have all the, so other people come on and share their stories to help inspire all of us. So Perfect. check that out, check that out. And uh, my website, the Mike C Rock with no K, the Mike C Rock, C R O C dot com. Um, my blog's on there, my, my podcast is on there as well. So uh, I look forward to engaging with you more, Adam, in the future and uh, any of your listeners. Actually, you just answered my last question before I had a chance to ask it. So that's awesome. Uh, so basically, what we want to do is we just want to make sure people know your website, which is the Mike C Rock dot com. And uh, what's the name of your group again? Just so somebody can go on Facebook and find it. What are you made of with Mike Searock? What are you made of with Mike Searock? I might have to hop into that myself. Yeah, All come right. On in. Come on All in. The, right. water's, the water's fine. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it, man. I love it, man. Put my world, own words right back to me. That's how we do it. All right. So <laughs> Michael Searock Scirocco, who is the author of the upcoming What Are You Made Of? Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. I had a great time, Adam. Thanks for having me, man.
All right. For everybody listening, uh, thank you once again. We trust you to enjoy today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.